Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. Drone maker DJI has launched a new drone this week that puts you in the driving seat by insisting that you wear a pair of goggles to fly it. How does it work? Will the idea catch on? And what does it say about the future of drones? Well, Pocket Cam Bunton has been covering the launch and is here to tell us more. Meanwhile, I've been catching up with the Royal Shakespeare Company about a new life performance inspired by a Midsummer Night's Dream that's using motion capture and various other technologies to involve the audience. And Pocket editor Chris Hall has been using the new Arlo Essential video doorbell wire-free. That is a mouthful, isn't it? Should you switch away from the traditional doorbell or even a ring? Keep listening to find out. So back to you, Cam. Tell us more about this new DJI drone. So this is called the DJI FPV. And as the name suggests, it's all about that first person view. So which is why you obviously mentioned the goggles right at the beginning, um, which is why you have these goggles strapped to your head and you're viewing the camera feed directly into your eyeballs instead of having, right? (laughs) It's It's like sci-fi stuff. It's mad. I mean, you should see the press release images that came along with it. It was something out of like some 22nd century dystopian future. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, I mean, you're looking through these goggles and you're looking directly through the camera feed and it's the goggles have got these antenna on four different corners and it's got a huge range and great latency. So you can just view it as if it was on the controller. So do you need to wear the goggles to fly or can you just say, yeah, that's too too crazy for me. Let's just do this. Um, it, from the looks of it, it looks like you need to um, because that's what comes with it in the box. It, it, the goggles plug into the controller and you have to view it through the goggles. Okay. So it's it's and, kind of interesting. It's kind I was going to say, what does this tell us? Like, Does this change the design of the drone? It does, yes. It, it changes a lot. I think it's... Because of the way the drone's designed, so first of all, it's it's designed to be very different from the Mavic series of consumer drones, which is more for your sort of traditional aerial photography and videography, which is normally sort of slow, dramatic shots. The FPV drone is designed to be quick and to be nimble, so it's going to turn quickly, it's going to do all sorts of crazy acrobatics in the sky, and to have that first-person view directly into your eye, it's just, I think it's it's a better way to fly that kind of really quick drone because it's sort of that crossover between a racing drone and a video drone. Um, It just makes it easier, I think. But it does mean that there needs to be two of you every time you go out and fly it because someone has to keep an eye on the drone as well. How do you, what, 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 wait, as my American (laughs) friends say, wait, what now? (laughs) So, uh, I mean, Current drone regulations and laws, especially in the UK, you need to be able to keep line of sight with your drone if you're going to use it in public. So obviously, right. if, if your eyes are covered <laughs> by goggles, you can't see your actual drone, which means you have to have someone with you to make oh, sure okay. you can see where it is. <laughs> right. So bearing in mind that you need two of you, 
Yes. And you're then like strapped your eyeballs effectively into this drone that is traveling how fast? It can go up to, let me just check. I think it can go up to, I think they said 39 meters per second if you put it in sport mode, which is roughly about 87 miles an hour. Right. Uh, okay. So you're going at 90 miles an hour with this yes. thing strapped to your base. Yeah. So you've got a mate, like as a wingman, to make sure that you're okay. And Basically. he's like trying to, he or she is trying to keep a keep a grasp of, of where your drone's gone. Yes. Who who is this for? Somebody who wants a bit more thrill in their drone life, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's it's a really cool looking thing, and I think it's. I mean, admittedly, it's a very niche sort of product. And at the moment, you sort of have this. You have photography drones, and you have racing drones, and this is sort of a mixture between the two of them because. It still gets the twenty-minute flight time that you would expect from a normal photography drone, except it can do naught to sixty in about two seconds. Um, so yeah, it's it's sort of that crossover between those two. It's it's definitely niche. And um, a final question: What does this kind of tell us about the future of where all this stuff is going? It's it's difficult to say. I mean, it's it gives you that. Um, it gives you a different angle. It gives you something different to your arsenal. Let's say you're a professional videographer who uses drones all the time. This will definitely give you an edge over your competitors if they're just doing all the sort of normal, slow panning cinematic stuff, because this goes, I mean, it goes really quick, but then obviously that means the video sensor and the camera inside it has to be able to capture video at fast frame rates as well. So hmm. it gives you an edge over your competition in, in that space, but it's, I don't think it's one for the average consumer. Absolutely. I mean, I suppose with with that in mind, you could probably see this being used in sports coverage, couldn't you? Because you could use this to follow, like, racing cars or cyclists or or things like that at high speed in close for, in close quarters. As yeah, you, exactly. Like, you know, racing down the the finishing straight or or what have you. As long as you can, at ninety miles an hour, you, almost you can you probably keep up with with some some modes of transport, couldn't you? Or you could sailing Absolutely. or things like that. I suppose. And it's a tiny drone, again, if you compare it to how people do that generally at the moment with big heavy drones or with helicopters, it's still much more convenient than getting a helicopter to do that. Um, and the added frame rates and the high frame rates, it can go up to like 120 frames per second if you film in full HD. So it'll give you that sort of smooth, really smooth footage, but also gives you really nice slow motion shots that you normally wouldn't be able to capture with any other drone. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the Arlo Essential Video Doorbell Wire-Free. There's another big thing that, that Arlo are doing that's different, which is that they use a ringing system. So when somebody presses the doorbell, the notification that comes through to your phone is actually in the form of a video call. There's no denying it. The arts, and in particular theatre, has been decimated by the pandemic over the last 12 months. With theatres shut, production companies have had to find new ways to talk to audiences around the world. For institutions like the National Theatre in London, that's meant a series of reruns streamed on YouTube for audiences to enjoy again. But the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford has taken a different approach. Dream, which enjoys a limited run from the 12th to the 20th of March, is inspired by Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream and gives a unique opportunity for audiences to directly influence the live performance from wherever they are in the world by using the latest gaming and theatre technology. Ahead of the opening night, I've been chatting to Sarah Ellis, Director of Digital Development at the RSC, to find out more. 
I started by asking her to explain a little bit more about the new play and what's actually involved. Uh, Dream is a performance that we're creating online in March, this March from the 12th to the 20th of March this year. Um, It's a culmination of R&D, so it's research and development, um, from a project called Audience of the Future, where we were exploring the future of live performance using immersive technologies. And so you've, this is not the first time you've dabbled with this. You, you did a project with Intel, I think, back in 2016 with The Tempest, uh, five years on. Why, A, why has it taken this long to come out with something else that's more interactive? And B, is this similar to, to what it was five years ago or is it completely evolved and a very different beast? Gosh, that's a really good question. I think, um, well... I mean, 2016 was quite a groundbreaking moment for us because it was the first time we'd collaborated with a technology company on a on a full scale production of Shakespeare. And that was quite significant because it was the 400th anniversary of his death. And we wanted to mark that in um, his his last play, The Tempest, in in quite um, a future facing way. And, And that production really started in 2013 to bring all that together and it it takes right. quite a long time when you're looking at new technologies coming into what I'd call a traditional stagecraft to embed them work out how they work and and, and evolve that together um and I think that um that in this particular case the the, the shift from 2016 to now in 2021 um we're, we're using similar technologies but they have definitely um developed and and we're using them in new ways but we're also we're also dealing with a world that's changed and radically changed with right. the pandemic um but the 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 reason why we're doing this is because of the audience of the future program and that's involved a huge partnership and consortium of 14 partners so in terms of it taking a long time as well we we've we've expanded on the question from just the RSC to for arts organisations plus technology companies plus researchers. So the research and development that we're sharing is um, we would have done a performance last June um, and we didn't, we weren't right. able to do that. So the pandemic has slowed that down. But in that time as well, we've had to completely reimagine a performance for a digital distribution now. And do you think, you know, I'm sure when when William Shakespeare was was writing... Midsummer Night's Dream or, you know, Macbeth or Hamlet or whatever, he didn't think, okay, let's have some computer screens in here and, and maybe some interactive there. How how do you go about translating something that is as old as it is to a digital kind of experience? Um, I think it's the I think it's the story. I think the story lends itself to the lens of today. Um, and we're only wrapping ourselves around a, an amazing narrative really Mm. and we're finding ways to share those stories with audiences where they are now um i think it's fair to say in shakespeare's time he was an entrepreneur himself he was working with some of the most cutting edge tools of the day and you work with what you have and i think that i would argue that theater has always innovated it's always had an interest in technology and we're just working with the tools we have now and those plays have lasted 400 years because because of what they say and the characters and 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 also how we contextualize them when we perform them now 
Now, one of the things that we've learned over the years with Shakespeare is that it's not until we started putting them into you know, modern day theatres and stuff that we realised some of the things that he was using to make his plays more engaging with the audience and all those kind of things. Has using this digital kind of element to it allowed you to learn more things about the way his plays have done or has it kind of caused problems or, you know, like how do we kind of, how would we represent this in that, that kind of, you know. I think that's always the challenge that any director or designer has when they approach the plays, like how how do they bring bring that story alive in in the context what what is that play trying to say I think in this particular instance it's really important to say that dream is inspired by Midsummer Night's Dream so it's not the full play and we've really we've taken a specific element of it which is the forest and the spirit world and in that you'll be guided by the character of Puck and and you will enter the forest and explore the forest but you won't experience the play in its traditional sense and 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 the text of the play in that sense what we're doing is placing the world of that play in a way that we can share that online through a games engine and immerse ourselves through that play. But we keep the spirit of live performance really strong in it. We have actors performing in motion capture. They are um, performing in real time. So their avatars will be um, connecting and and live. Um, It'd be a lot easier to to pre-record it, but um, it's really it's really important that the, the liveness and the connection is there. Um, and I think, as I say, we were due to do a performance in person in Stratford-upon-Avon last June. Right. Um, and through that moment, we've had to completely reimagine what that feel, what togetherness and liveness feels like to with an audience who can't be with us physically together. So we're also testing layers of interactivity within that, with the, between the audience and the performer. And as you move in towards towards more of that game realm and, and, you know, that interactive kind of realm, do you see, you know, a lot of people playing Fortnite, for example, now go to watch films, you know, film festivals in Fortnite or they go and watch, you know, concerts and things like that. Do you foresee a future where, you know, you could mid game, there's a couple of players, you know, kind of producing, you know, a Midsummer Night's Dream or, or something like that within these virtual worlds? Um, I do, and I think that we're evolving um, a language and a ritual around that. I think that what I'm curious about is where are the places that people go to experience connection, and you can't argue, you know, Fortnite and Minecraft and all of those spaces are social spaces, yet we don't see the social connection in the same Mm. way. Um, And that's fascinating to, I think, the arts, but I think that the offer is quite homogenized at the moment. And for us to expand the offer of those spaces and sort of place art artists in the heart of that to reimagine space and reimagine connection um, is incredibly important for us to move forward in our, in our thinking around it. Um, and also I think with the pandemic, we've had to completely rethink how we do connect and we're finding some really entrepreneur, entrepreneurial ways around that, that, might involve a game engine, but it might involve, you know, um, streaming out from your living room. We're finding it's not a one size fits all situation, which which is is good good to see. Um, but I do think that from our perspective, if you if you are learning coding at school, what's what's really important is that that the arts could be an industry that you could go in, and that that for me 
is quite important and how we build the craft of of yeah. what we do um much more from a, from a much more earlier entry point and is the is the hope that this becomes more commonplace either for the RSC or for other other theatre production companies around the world. Yeah, and I think that's already happening. It's not just the RSC that are exploring this, and that's really important to say, is that we're part of an ecosystem of theatre practitioners and technicians and production designers who are seeing this technology and and taking what's useful to them. We're just extending a theatre-making toolkit here. The promise of theatre is still at the heart of what we do, and we're just um, giving tools that can enable a different connection with an audience or a way that they can imagine those plays um, uh, for now. And I think that's a really important thing that we've held really firm on our digital strategy. Um, and and then alongside that, as I say, there is a community, like the Epic Unreal community that are building globally. You know, there are people across the world exploring what these um, technologies can do. That that's exciting, I believe, to see see how we enable that to develop. And and I'm not sure whether you were involved on the 2016 project, but I presume this is, if not, this is your first kind of digital kind of theatre production that you've done. How do you feel it varies from doing a more traditional play in in perhaps you know with without the digital element? Yeah, so I I led the 2016 production partnership. Um, and, and also we were working in digital before, so I've been there about 10 years. But it takes time to really understand the direction of travel with this, this new work. And um, I think what I'm pleased about with this particular sharing of R&D is that we've been able to be genuinely collaborative with ju- not just the RSC, but um, the Philharmonia Orchestra and Manchester International Festival and, and a company called Marshmallow Laser Feast. And we've brought some alchemy within that together to make it look and feel different. And also by sharing it as a research and development, as a process, we're able to ask our audiences what they think. So we can be open when we take it forward, that we're not giving them the solution. We're we're kind of asking ourselves the question, does this work? How could we, how could this come into our mainstream work? If you know what I mean? And, and what we've seen is, um, a huge digital inequity in people's homes. So people don't have the skills and expertise, don't have the technology in their hands in their homes. So, you know, very few people have a VR headset. So it's really important we design something for desktop, tablet and mobile because that's the technology people have. And I think if we can also address some of the inequity in that, I think more people will connect and come in either come in through the Shakespeare or the play whatever the play is and out with some of that technology and vice versa in through the technology and out with the Shakespeare and so the final question I have is what what's the next project where are you gonna which play are you going to move on to next oh gosh well um I don't I honestly don't know I honestly don't know I think we'll we're going to take some time to um see how this lands with audiences. Um, And I think that also we're at a stage where, as the pandemic unlocks, there's something more fundamental about how we are as we come out of that with our our stages in Stratford-upon-Avon and what what this piece of work has done in this moment. So this is a piece of work for now in a pandemic. And then how does that connect with us 
being able to be in person again. So less about the play and much more about the form. And can we have a future that can we have a future that's more connected? Um, I think is is so important for us right now. Arlo is a big name in in-home security with a wide range of cameras, so extending its offering to the front door makes a lot of sense. Having originally launched an audio doorbell which connected to an Arlo system, the obvious leap was to integrate video and audio to make it a complete doorbell viewing and answering solution, either as part of a wider Arlo system or as a standalone device to the rival ring. Which is exactly what you get with the Arlo Essential Video Doorbell Wire-Free. But is it any good? Does it stand up against the competition? And should you even consider it in the first place? Well, Chris Hall has been using it. Tell us more. Well, I think the best place to start this is by saying that I have used a Ring Video Doorbell for some time. So the prospect Mm. of tearing that off my door and replacing it with something else took a lot of convincing. But... I made the leap, and if anyone's thinking about doing the same thing, the unfortunate news is that the screws will go into different holes, so you'll have to figure that one out yourself. (laughs) But the principle here is very much the same, and and I think Ring has done a very good job of establishing this market video doorbells, giving extra connectivity and a, a, a sight into what's going on in your front doorstep. And Arlo has used a lot of its experience in security cameras to swing into exactly the same space. The big difference here is that Arlo hasn't used a let's say a widescreen uh, video format so you know it, it doesn't look like the picture you get on your tv instead it's gone for a square square image like you might find on instagram that might sound like a weird or minor point but it actually means you can see a lot more in front of your door you may not be able to see as much side to side but you can see your visitors head to toe there's a very very wide angle lens they've got on the front that's of that's interesting uh, you wouldn't really kind of think of that would you no and it's actually a very smart move because i've i've found from using it that you look and you can see a lot more around the door which is just it's exactly what you want it to do the interesting thing here is that uh, Ring has obviously seen that this is a good idea. And I noticed that the latest Ring, I think it's Video Doorbell Pro 2, has also adopted a square sensor for that. For that, So, mm. you know, this is a it's a minor lead for, for the time being. And I suppose that would, uh, just suddenly on, on that note, I suppose that would also allow you to see when your courier d- delivery guy has dropped parcels at your door because you're more likely to be able to see those. Yeah, that's the big difference that I notice is that you can see what people do rather than just seeing the people approach your door and then stand there. You can see a lot more of what their hands are doing. You can see whether they stuff something through the letterbox. You can see when they put the parcel down on the floor and stuff like that. And I found that really, really useful. There's another big thing that that Arlo are doing that's different, which is that they use a ringing system. So when somebody presses the doorbell, the notification that comes through to your phone is actually in the form of a video call. It doesn't come through via a notification from the app that you have installed on your phone. The uh, thing that this means is that it's a lot faster to react. And so you don't have that slight delay where somebody rings the doorbell, it chugs through the internet and eventually arrives back at your phone. By and then you've got a, and then you off. have to, uh, yeah, and then you've got to fire up the app and then you've got to like, it, then the video kicks in and then you're kind of like, hey, come back. What are you doing? I'm yeah, here. So, I'm so, here. Yeah, so it's a much more direct thing. And, and I've found that, You'll be sitting there and then your phone suddenly starts ringing. You look at it and you're like, oh, it's uh, it's somebody at the door. It's not a phone call that's coming in. It's somebody at the door. You get the choice of whether you want to answer it or not. 
And the good thing is that when you press the answer button, you don't immediately go onto live chat or a live video call. Obviously, they can't see you anyway because there's no screen yeah. on the outside. But you get the option to send replies as well. So somebody comes to the doorbell, they press the button, I reply, and then I'll send them a message saying, leave the package on the front doorstep, or I'll be there in a minute, or I'm not interested. So it's a great way of screening at the door without you even having to use your real voice or say anything. Okay, because then you could be somewhere busy that you can't talk, so you can send send a message. But also, I suppose it's that a lot of things I sometimes get when using the ring doorbell is very much along the lines of guys like, well, I can't hear you because you're on a run and you're like breathing. <laughs> you're yeah. kind of, you're out of breath. I, can't, I don't actually understand what you're saying, mate. I'm sorry. Where do you yeah. want me to leave it? Yeah, it, it does that. <laughs> it has that advantage. You could be in the bathroom, in the bath, driving your car, out shopping, and you could just send a, a reply an instant reply, giving them instructions. I mean, they may try and draw you into conversation and you can just press the microphone and then talk to them. But I think for a lot of people, being able to step back and not have to use their actual voice is going to be a real benefit. And so that's kind of the benefits. What things don't you like about this? Well, there aren't really that many things that I don't like about it. It's actually a a very very neat design it's a little bit thicker than you might want it to be so it's quite chunky it's not as slim and slick as the ring video doorbell that i had before um, obviously this is the completely wireless version so it has the battery inside as well um, it's probably worth noting mentioning that i got about a month and a half out of the battery and that includes some very cold weather um, so that's pretty good going really um there is also a wired version of this same video doorbell, which is you know slightly slimmer, but obviously you need yeah. the existing wiring there in the first place. For the UK, at least, most people are going with battery-powered ones because not many people have the wiring that they need to power these doorbells. In the US, it's slightly different. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, the downsides are few. Obviously, it's part of the Arlo system, and if you have other Arlo devices, then it can work in cahoots with all of those. It works with... Uh, Google Assistant and it will work with Alexa so you can combine it into something else like when it mo- when it sees motion at the door it can turn on your lights and all of that kind of stuff but you do have to pay for a subscription if you want the most advanced features and if you want online video storage it's not a lot it, you only have to pay um I, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head it's about it's two or three pounds or dollars it? a month yeah and so then you can pay that and that will give you 30 days of video stored online but if you choose not to pay that, you can still get the the call function and live view functionality for no cost. And so I suppose the really big question here is, uh, do you still, I'm not sure whether it's gone back yet or not, but is it still on your front door? And if it if they do ask for it back, will you buy one to put it on your front door? It is still on my front door. And I'm, I'm happy to say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it on my front door because I've just found it a good refreshing solution. The, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Ring, but the Ring video doorbell I had before was number two, and that's getting a little bit old now. So the enhanced functionality, I think Arlo has earned its place, and I'm hoping they don't call it back, because if they do, I'll then have about eight holes in my front door that I'll have to fill. <laughs> that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip hip. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.